Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Kapla, and welcome to the Omega Particle. I am your gracious host today, and if that intro didn't give you enough of a hint, today we are covering Klingons. So hold on to your hats, because this is the big, big baddie of the Star Trek universe. Now, it's I guess you can say it's our most complex love-hate relationship, but... Like our good friend Worf says, today is a good day to podcast. <laughs> um, I hope you've got your gawk and hopefully no need for pain sticks because we'll be covering Klingons for the next three episodes, going over everything from society to the physical evolution of the Klingon to the religious and traditional beliefs and the rituals they do. This is going to be a lot of fun because the Klingons are the most fleshed out, developed culture in all of Star Trek. So I try to keep these episodes 40, 50 minutes. I hope I can do it quickly. <laughs> and today we're just covering the history of Klingons. Basically all the written history, all the way through the First Empire and Kalis. Also, the most fascinating thing. And if you're a big fan of the original series, you'll already know this. How did they lose their ridges and then get them back again? Huh. <laughs> so uh, we definitely haven't seen that happen in Star Trek before, where the writers get paint themselves in the corner and just kind of just move on from it and then develop lore. I mean, they definitely didn't do that with the Borg. <laughs> Very excited to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun today. If you've never heard... Klingon or anything of Klingon, then you're definitely in the right place. And if you've really only kind of watched TNG and not really dive deep into Voyager or Deep Space Nine, you're also going to benefit huge from this because TNG does some Klingon history and, and through Worf, of course, but it really doesn't kind of expand a lot until you get into Voyager and DS9. And also, if a super big fan like I am, this is also a good refresher because you'll learn a lot and fun facts because I've been watching Star Trek for um, well close to a decade now, and I still am learning new things throughout these research big episodes. So I would definitely hang out and chill. Let's get into the first part of our Klingon series covering all of Klingon history. So when I was saying that they, meaning the Klingons, are the most fleshed out of all Star Trek lore, I mean, these people even have a freaking McDonald's commercial. For you parents who don't speak Klingonese, he's saying people of Earth unite and bring your kids to McDonald's for a Star Trek meal. Wow. So, I mean, they are everywhere and always have been kind of like that sore spot in the Federation's side. However, eventually it 
becomes one of the strongest allies of the Federation, thanks to the Dominion War. And we'll cover all of that. So there's many, many areas to cover, but I feel like starting with the historical is one of the best ways to lay a foundation because it will explain Klingon society, it'll explain the rituals, it'll explain a lot of the traditions they have. Now, the Klingons, if you don't know, are a humanoid species, and they're a very warrior-centric culture. And their home world is in the Beta Quadrant on a planet called Kronos. Now, I know what you're thinking. This word, Kronos, starts with a K. Oh, no. <laughs> starts with a Q, because Klingon language is incredibly complex. You may ask yourself, well, Jonathan, how do you know? If you go on Duolingo, the app, they actually have a Klingon program that you can learn for free. So Duolingo's not paying me to plug it, but you can try to learn Klingon yourself. I tried maybe for like an hour and I was like, no, <laughs> not for me. And then I had a good friend say to me when I told him this, he was like, so you don't like speak fluent Spanish or French, but you were trying to learn Klingon. And I was like, yeah, I need to rethink some of my life decisions. <laughs> so um, anyway, I'm sorry I divulged. The Klingon people to me are like one part Viking, one part samurai with just a dash of sexism and racism thrown in. I mean, some Klingons are incredibly progressive and some are incredibly not. <laughs> so it really just depends on which family and which Klingon you're talking to. So starting off with their written history, um, the very first Klingons that were ever recorded were Kotar and his mate. So we learned this in several episodes, but my main source is the Voyager Season 6, Episode 3, called Barge of the Damned. And Kotor, his pretty much whole thing is responsible for killing all of the Klingon gods. And there's been a couple of jokes like in DS9, like um, Klingons don't tolerate their gods. They just killed them. They were annoyance in a very wharf tone. Now, don't get me wrong. We will cover all of the Klingon religion and... Um, their spiritual beliefs. That will be on a later episode. I think it'll probably be like part two. We'll cover that. And it's really hard when you're discussing the formation of Klingon society and Klingon history without intertwining the religion as well. Because they're in this society, they're so intertwined with, with one another. You really can't pull it apart. So this is why we're kind of starting and why all of Klingon history starts with KOTOR. But besides KOTOR, and this will be a big aspect of the show today, we will be talking about Kalis. Now, if you don't know who Kalis is, to put it simply, he is the entire, in my opinion, the entire foundation of all of Klingon society. And a majority of its rules, customs, traditions, everything kind of stem out from this guy. So if he's the tree... All the branches are Klingon society. So he basically is the the bedrock of it. He's the George Washington, but on a scale times a million to the Klingons. And he's even known as Kalis the Unforgettable. And I mean, we'll get into this. He's even a messianic figure too. Not to spoil what's coming up in the later parts of the episode. But a lot of the information we get about Kalis comes from the TNG episode Rightful Air. 
And that episode is about, this is this wild, but um, they take blood samples from a sword and they like clone Kalos and again, he's supposed to be a messianic figure. He's supposed to come back, but we'll get into that. But that's the basis of the episode. And, and through this um, rifle air episode, we learned that he united the Klingon people to form the very first empire. And he was the very first emperor. And I'm sure they were just emergency powers and he was going to give them back <laughs> once the crisis was over tip of the hat to Papa Palpatine, but no, um, he was kind of the celebrated leader because there used to be a tyrant on Kronos called Molar and Molar ruled with an iron fist and, and oppressed a lot of the Klingon people, put them in labor camps, et cetera, et cetera. Kalis came to fame because he killed this tyrant Molar with the very first, here we go, Klingon dictionary, Batleth. And that is what we like to call a sword of honor. Now, if you know Star Trek, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of that um, semicircle blade. I showed Stormy a picture of it and she's like, okay. And I was like, I think it'd be so cool to own a Batleth and just like have it on the wall. And she's like, we can't. That's like not with a child around. I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. It is kind of like a super dangerous weapon. But I found online you can get paper opener Batleth. And so if you're working in an office or anything like that, I think that'd be really kind of cheeky to get anyway. And so he defeats this tyrant Molar with the Batleth. And it's actually celebrated every year in Klingon culture. And it's something that we see in TNG. This sword of honor, this Batleth. And this is like where legend and, and kind of that religious aspect comes into play with a little bit of spice they say that Kalis fashioned that sword with his own hands by dropping a lock of his own hair into the lava from the Kristak volcano and then twisted that lava hair combo into the sword. This is what this is what it is. <laughs> and they wholeheartedly believe it, and that's why Bathleth is used pretty much exclusively by the Klingons and almost every Klingon has one in some shape or form. So there are a ton, 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 ton of Kalos myths and mythos. And there's even one about quote unquote, the greatest romance of all time, Kalos and his mate, Lady Lakura. Now we won't cover that story today. We'll cover it when we do the marriage rituals because it's basically just a replay of this story however there is another great klingon legend about kalis and his brother morath but we're gonna let our klingon resident in-house wharf explain that story here we go and his brother morath they fought for 12 days and 12 nights because morath had broken his word and brought shame to his family When you lie or steal, you not only dishonor yourself, but your family. You dishonor me. So you can see that what I mean, like the mixing between religion and history, is that they now use these myths of Kalos to talk about 
parables and how we should be with honor and how we it's kind of like a way almost like the five talents or the beatitudes in christianity is that this is now almost a parable thing to live by in this set of honor code so even speaking of beatitudes and and certain aspects of christianity as we finish up Kalos, like i mentioned at the beginning and his first empire the ancient text actually says he will return one day and rule and uni- unify the, the empire. He is this messianic figure for Klingons. He basically was near the end of his life. He united the people. Kalos has given them the code of honor, these set of rules to live by, almost a law of acquisition. And he saw basically saw that his job was done. Kalos went to the edge of the city to say goodbye to all these people. People wept and didn't want him to go. And Kalos so heroically responds, you are Klingons, you do not need anyone but yourselves. And he continues saying, I will go to Stovacor, but I promise to return and look for me on that point of light. And he points and he raises his finger to the sky. That's the last time we ever see Kalos in recorded Klingon history. Wow. Well, we're in the weeds now, and um, I felt like I lost all the Fairweather fans with that last segment. (laughs) Anyway, um, I told you, it's seriously fleshed out. They got, I mean, books and books and books on on the Klingons. Anyway, so Stovacor is actually the heaven aspect to Klingon tradition. Like, they believe in heaven and hell, and Stovacor is their heaven. And that is where Kalos is going. And that point of light that he's talking about is the planet Boroth. Now, if you are a big Discovery fan, your ears just perked up because, yes, we do see Borath or Boreth. These Klingon names. We see this planet when Pike goes to get the time crystals. We also see it with Worf in the rightful heir because He's questioning his Klingon heritage and, and his faith, so he decides to go to Boreth and just await Kalos, which his clone eventually shows up. So, But they do have a priesthood, almost a monastery-like encampment on Borath, and they wait for Kalos there. They're called the Guardians. Like I mentioned before, they're Guardians because they are watching over these crystals and they're kind of making sure they're keepsaking them and protecting them while waiting for Kalos all at the same time. So we can definitely see that the mythos behind Kalos definitely laid that warrior kind of mentality. There's even a myth that he fought off an entire army at Three Round Tree, I think was the name of it, and he defeated all of them, and it was like the blood was up to like his his like legs, and it was just, I mean, it's just so over the top kind of stories that are the bedrock to this warrior mentality. So if you're a big fan of Star Trek, you already know like, okay, the Klingons are all about honor and duty and, and taking care of themselves. The warrior, the big warrior ethos has always been a large part of the society, but it really didn't start revving up until around the 22nd century. And this is when this warrior cast started gaining greater prominence in the society and is where they became known as the warrior race in the Beta and Alpha Quadrant. Again, we're going to get back to this caste system 
when we talk about society later on, but history will always set the table. And this is what we're kind of doing. One of the big moving on from now that there's this caste system of warrior races and and these warring families on Kronos, the big question is to me and in Klingon history, kind of a apex in all of recorded history is this pandemic that went through the entire empire. And it lends the big question of today's show. If you watch the original series episodes, the Klingons don't have ridges. Why? Oh, my friends, we're going to find out. (laughs) So I know this is what happened is just like the Borg when, because originally the Borg were just about technology. They didn't care about people. And then when the writers of TNG started that it really caught on and people really loved this enemy that they were like, okay, we'll change them and they'll care about assimilating people too, just not technology. And so they kind of just thought on their feet. And I think that's exactly what happened here in the original series when it was produced. No one really thought, oh, these Klingons are going to have ridges and be this warrior race and it's going to be this whole monumental sci-fi pillar in the future. It's like, no, like they were just these actors that they put makeup on. (laughs) And then as we saw Star Trek get more developed, especially with TNG, the Klingons, and even throughout the movies, we see their appearance change. They had to go back and kind of rewrite history. And they did that beautifully, might I add. And they did that a lot better and with more explanation and with better fleshed out history than what they did with the Borg. And we see a lot of that in the show Enterprise. Man, I need to go back and do an Enterprise rewatch. I probably haven't watched it in like three years. I know we like to joke on it, but it's not that bad. But if I have to say it's not that bad, does that mean it's that bad? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, in 2154, we're going to move on here. In 2154, um, a group of Klingons gained access to genetic material from a group of human augments. Yes, like Khan. They tried to genetically enhance themselves and become stronger, faster, smarter, that type of thing. And they shortly did. They gained some like great, faster agility, better strength, etc. But eventually it just broke them down. And they broke down their neural pathways And they suffered an agonizing, agonizing death. One of these, quote-unquote, subjects had the Ladovian flu. When the pathogens mixed from the flu with the DNA, it became this, like, super deadly, fatal, airborne, like, mutagenic plague that spread through the empire. And there was no way of stopping it. Because, especially if it's airborne, but it just covered all of these, like planets in the empire and everybody was in dismay because it was they were being taken down from within and the very first stage of the plague was that the forehead ridges were diminishing and almost disappearing fully they almost looked human eventually this klingon scientist named and forgive me because i have not done my whole duolingo klingon program um, Klingon scientist named Antak Ontok. We're going to call him Ontok. Klingon scientist named Ontok. And our good old buddy, Dr. Flox. 
Enterprise. Cue the uh, cue the Enterprise intro music. We're gonna do that. Cue it, Luna. Yes, the Starship NX-01 Enterprise is here to save the day. So, Dr. Phlox and Anontok were able to formulate this cure to stop this plague, and most importantly, stop the mutation from going past that first phase. The good news is, is it stopped the plague going throughout the Empire. The bad news is, is once you were cured, your ridges didn't come back. They don't have keeps over there for Klingon ridges. (laughs) For the glory of keeps. No, they um they didn't have anything like that. So they left millions and millions and millions of Klingons changed physically throughout the entire empire. And so what that means is that eventually they interact with other civilizations, a la Kirk and Spock, where we see Klingons without any ridges. And if you're wondering why we didn't really get any info on this before is that it was kind of a source of like kind of dishonor for them. And they didn't want to discuss it with any outsider. I mean, honestly, by the 24th century, the time of Picard, et cetera, et cetera, it was not even widely known that this even happened. Klingons kept it super close to the vest, almost a, it's a national embarrassment. They didn't want to talk about it. Like I said before, in the 2250s, 2260s, Federation starts encountering these quote-unquote smooth-skinned Klingons. It was really kind of unclear how many were affected throughout the Empire, if you're wanting the numbers. I couldn't really find any number, um, total number of how many were affected, but it's just say it was probably in the millions and millions and millions they did it. But a little fun fact here, and again, this kind of proves my point that I mentioned earlier in the episode is that the the writers and, and the creator of Star Trek were kind of just covering themselves. And you can say, well, we got proved now, baby. So Kang, Koloth, and Carr were on the original series with Kirk. In that show, completely smooth skin. When the three Klingons show up again in DS9 and Voyager, in their supremely old age, they all have ridges. Now, maybe they got some uh, Klingon ridge keep or, or regrowth or Rogaine for the, for the ridges. I don't know. Anyway, I'm plugging a lot of products that I get. I don't make a dime off this podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, they, so we, we can kind of see there that there's really no, they're just thinking on their feet, which is fine. Like when you have this, when you have something like Star Trek, that is so expansive and, and fleshed out and developed Things like this are going to happen, and I'm perfectly okay with it. So speaking of the Klingons running into Kirk and Spock, we're going to cover kind of how the Federation and the Klingons went to war, how it was resolved, and what's the status of the relationship most recently in Star Trek history. So by the year 2223, it was just kind of like super hostile. It was kind of almost a relentless hostility and it lasted for a long time, several decades. And we see this kind of like in undiscovered country and even a little bit in first contact. And so we have these lingering tensions all throughout um, 
these this decade in the 23rd century. It even like kind of culminates in the year 2256 with ding 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 the battle of the binary stars. Now, for all my discovery people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But just a little recap, because this is really where it kind of starts the Klingon War. Takuvma basically started this battle. And it was, I'm not going to ruin Discovery for it because this is literally like the first, first episode of the entire um, series. He started this fight at the Battle of the Binary Stars, and it was a great rallying cry for all the Klingons, and it united the great houses again, probably, I think, for the first time since Kayla. So it's been a while. And they united and fought the Federation. So the result is that we have this Federation war for about a year, year and a half in the years 2256, 2257. And just a little fun fact about that war. Do you know that Klingons actually invaded about 20% of all Federation space during this short, I guess you call it a skirmish, but a war. I think it's just really funny because the, the fighting apparently, and this is where you have some discrepancy between what Discovery says and what the original series says. I'm going to go with the OS here. Because the OS is tried and true. Not saying anything's wrong with Discovery, but I just, we're going to go with the OS um, with history here. And so the fighting lasted around four days. That was about it. Like real intense fighting lasted, it kind of apexes at this planet called Organa. Now, not what you're thinking of Princess Leia, planet was invaded by the Klingons. And I think we've mentioned this before in my in my politics episode, and this is when Kirk and Spock try to convince these or, Organians <laughs> to kind of op, try to convince them of getting and, and staying in the Federation protection. And Kirk gets frustrated with them because they're just super apathetic. They don't care. They don't mind that the Klingons invaded. They're just kind of like just roll over and... and be submissive to the Klingons. And Kirk is like, how could you live this way? This is, this is not right. You need to stand up for your individual and, and for your planet's rights here. Just not let them be trampled on. It even gets to the point where Kirk and the Enterprise gets like in this guerrilla style warfare against the Klingons for the sake of the Organians. But, but in a typical Trek fashion, the Organians shed their humanoid form and are this gaseous beings that with like a supreme intelligence make up this quote unquote little like treaty or organia, which I'm going to call. And it established a framework for these, the Klingons and the Federation and kind of just live amongst each other. Not, it's not lasting peace, but it's just kind of like, Hey, let's like stop the direct fighting. And just now that we have this um, framework developed by the, Organians, the next several decades are just as kind of this uneasy peace and tension. And we see that in Star Trek 3, and then we see that again in Star Trek 5. So we see all of this kind of continue, tension kind of continue, and on the brink of war several times, and finally again have an apex moment between the Klingons and the Federation in the Kittimer Accords in 2293. Now, for all my hardcore fans, you know exactly what this is, but the Kittimer Accords is the peace treaty between the Klingons and the Federation. And another fun fact, did you know that Klingons didn't even have a word for peace before the Accords were created? 
we, they've definitely had some, and since 2293, there's been threats of getting rid of the Kittimore Accords, and we kind of see that again. And before the Dominion War started, that um, some changelings kind of tricked the Klingons into thinking Federation attacked them, and et cetera, et cetera. We do know that eventually, as we leave off in that 21st century, the Klingons are one of the most steadfast allies of the Federation in the Dominion War and help them win the Dominion War. It's it's kind of funny to see it develop and just grow because if it's just they're going to be our enemy no matter what, always kind of gets old. But I always love the aspect that the Klingons at any moment can just be like, nope, Kinema Records are out. We're back at it. <laughs> so um, again, I'm trying to keep these, these episodes a little limited. So this has been kind of the the history from the very beginning all the way through Kalis, the crazy plague that took away the ridges, and then the Federation Klingon skirmishes and wars throughout the years. So this has been the very first Klingon episode. Klingons do not allow themselves to be probed. So glory to you and your house. Kapla, welcome back. <laughs> Yeah, um, this has been a lot of fun. Um, again, it's it's really fun researching and diving deep into such a wealth of of content. It's it's more difficult when you have to kind of search and search and search for things, kind of like with the Borg, and even might even do a Cardassian one. No, not those people, not Kanye's people, but <laughs> um, a Cardassian episode later on. I think that'd be fun because if you're not a big fan of DS9, you really have no idea about the Cardassians. Again, the next two episodes we're going to cover mainly, we're going to cover like society, the rituals, um, the marriage of sex. That will be on the next episode. And then episode three will just kind of be a roundup of all these loose subjects with the Klingons that we're going to talk about. So I'm excited for next episode. It's going to be a lot of fun diving into those rituals and culture. Um, like I mentioned before at the beginning, pain sticks <laughs> and rite of ascension. Yay. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just really fun to have such a, um, I don't know, it's just polar opposite of the Federation. You know, they're not anywhere near the same on a lot of things. Remember also real quick, remember that our lower decks review is coming out this Saturday. I will be interviewing, oh, I'll be interviewing Stormy. So that'll be great. You guys can hear from her and her perspective and a kind of a new fans perspective of the show. Thank you all again for um, the great support with um, our Lower Decks news and reviews. And just thank you for um, continue listening all over the world. Remember to stay safe out there. And also remember we are on Instagram at Omega Particle Podcast and on Twitter at Omega Particle underscore. We love to hear from you guys. Please debate. Please talk to me. It's always fun interacting with you guys from all over the world. And again, always remember, second star of the right, straight on till morning.